Like, even then, you know, like, his dialogue was, at that point, his dialogue wasn't so extensive. Like, it really wasn't, like, like, crazy, crazy extensive. You know what I mean? Like, like his, his dialogue wasn't, um, you know, like, Matt, Matthew Perry had way right. more dialogue yeah, in those films. Yeah, not as much. You know? I guess my point was is that it, they just gave him less to do. Yeah. And maybe that helped. Um it helped him get through more movies and do this for longer. Whereas if he was like somebody like Daniel day Lewis or somebody that like talked a lot yeah. and had a lot yeah. of lines to remember or whatever, but then I mean, it would have be been that. noticed more or earlier because the speech would have been impaired or the, the comprehension would have been impaired. For those that don't know, um, aphasia is what he's been uh, diagnosed with. It's a language disorder. It's caused by damage in a specific area of the brain that controls language expression and comprehension. So not only you being able to find the words that you want to say, the sentence, instead of you know, saying something like, you know, um, I want a Coke, but you say, I want an apple. But you can't say yeah. Coke, and you know the apple is wrong, but you can't figure out the right word. Or it can it can affect you in a different way with comprehension. So if somebody's talking to you and saying normal things, you hear the words, and you know what they're saying is right. Mm-hmm. But from the time that they get to your ear to they, your brain, they can't register right, and you can't understand what the words mean. Okay. Basically takes away your ability to... To comprehend anything, think of yourself in a in a different country where everybody else speaks a different language and nobody speaks your language. Okay, that's what he's dealing with. That's what he's looking yeah. looking to go into. Yeah, that's got to be terrible. Well, I mean, especially for an actor, but yeah. but I mean, it feels like it steals your life away. You know? Yeah. I mean, same thing with dementia. Well, and you kind of feel like because his family's, you know, his family, you know, I kind of feel like they've known this for a while. You know what I mean? They've had to. Like, his close family had to have well, noticed this. Well, his stuntman said that they... He didn't really know. I mean, obviously, even the stuntman people were there like, well, we just heard that he was doing some medical stuff. We didn't know what was going on or whatever. But he said being able to look back on it now is like, okay, I can I could see that there was a little bit of degrading in some of the times that he would be talking to us. Like, his comprehension, like, he would look confused every once in a while. Mm-hmm. And that's yeah. got to be terrible. We got to get into this movie. Yeah. We're going to be here forever. So Harrison Ford, eighty years old. No, he's not. Is he really? Nineteen forty-two. Holy crap! I didn't know. Nineteen forty-two. Are you sure? Uh, no, that's fine. I just did July. I, I guess thir- I didn't realize July thirteenth, nineteen forty-two. So he turns eighty in July. Forty-two, and he's doing Indiana Jones five right now. At eighty years old, he's literally older than Joe Biden. And you know, I mean, you look at. Look at <laughs> I was waiting for you to say something. <laughs> He's seventy nine right now. That's crazy. That's what I'm saying. He turns eighty in July. No, that's what I said. But after you said the fact that our current resident of the White House, right, 
It's younger than get, him. Gets lost and, and walking. Has, and this a, guy is is still whipping a whip and, and throwing well, a hat and, and flying airplanes. Yeah, and flying. Well, airplanes. No, actually, I think he reached the age where he's not allowed. To. Although that's he's a helicopter pilot, so and I think you can fly a little bit older than the fixed wing, but which doesn't make a lot of sense because fixed wing you can glide, but helos have like auto rotation and stuff too. But for those of you today joining us uh, today and for the rest of the month, we are going to be talking about Indiana Jones, the and the Crystal Skull, the Ridge Tridge, as I like as we like to say, the original trilogy. Uh, that is Raiders of the Lost Ark, Temple of Doom, and The Last Crusade. And we're going to be talking Basically about that. Basically, Le, Le, right? LaBuffless. Shia LaBuffless. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so, so. so we're talking about the movies that are LaBuffless. right, right. And I don't know how the next one is going to go, but also Rain uh, Winstoneless, Kate Blanchettless. You know those others that are in Kingdom Kingdom of Crystal Skull, but which I actually quite enjoy. Yes, we will talk about it, but we're just talking. We got three weeks left in the rest of this month, so we're going to talk about this trilogy. Um, those of you looking forward, we are going to be doing um, start Harry Potter this year, mm-hmm. and that starts next month. We, what we're going to do is we're going to do one Harry Potter mo- uh, movie at the beginning at the first week of each month until we for the next eight months after may once it starts so we will be doing uh harry potter and the sorcerer's stone the first week of may and then uh chamber of secrets first week first week of june and then uh, we're going to be doing prisoner of azkaban the the first week of july and that's when kaylee will be here and Mm -hmm. she's going to be on the show to talk with us about that okay so um but in addition to uh, Harry Potter next month we're also going to do the Back to the Future trilogy mm-hmm. in all of May so you guys real look forward to that we haven't done that before <laughs> I, I know but I think we wanted to wait until you know we, we season one was kind of like a test season for us to see how we can get going and then I think everything after that was what we really wanted well and then you got Mike, you know Michael J. Fox who is also dealing with a, a crazy disease too that, that you know I mean he, he kind of hit it younger you know, I mean, he he he, he found out about he found it in Spin City, I think. Yeah, a lot younger in his age, but the fact that you know, it just oh, man, just some of these stars that we're used to. I mean, I just can't believe Harrison Ford's eighty years old. I didn't. I, yeah, I wouldn't even guess that. Crazy. I mean, he he's so much older than a lot of these other people. You know, I mean, it, it, you know, except for Brody and stuff like that. But you know, um, or the actor Brody. You know, cheeky, yeah, yeah, yeah. but the actor Brody, you know, and just you know, like for instance, he's actually two years older than John Rhys Davies. Oh, really? Which, which I've got to say, is probably one of my favorite actors. Denham Elliott is uh, talking about Brody. Yeah, yeah. That dude was born in 1922, so yeah, and he had passed away before the uh, Crystal Skull. Yeah, that's right. Um, and John Rhys Davies, uh, you know, of course, from Lord of the Rings. Well, and one. he's even he's actually yeah, and and also Sliders, mind you. Oh, that's right, that that's right. I forgot he was I in that, that show. show. That was my first. I mean, besides obviously, that was Lost your first Art, like binge introduction type of show. to John Rhys Davies. Well, that was your first like really like show that you got attached to. Like we oh, got I attached still love to like it. Chuck and I, I, but I, I, I mean I was that was like it the other day. Yeah, that was like one of the first ones. Uh, real quick, today we're gonna be talking about. 
Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark. Uh, this movie was released in 1981. It was directed by Steven Spielberg. Uh, the story was written by George Lucas and Philip Kaufman, and uh, the screenplay was written by Lawrence Kasdan. Uh, this movie stars Harrison Ford as Indiana Jones, Karen Allen as Marion, Paul Freeman as Belloc, John Rhys Davies as Sala, uh, Ronald Lacey as Todd, uh, Denham Elliott as Brody. It also, also stars Alfred Molina in his first credited role, uh, Wolf Kaler, Anthony Higgins, Vic, what is that, Tablion, uh, Don Fellows, and many more. Yeah. I'm not going to go through the whole thing, but um, this was a very... Uh, and did you notice? And, and I did, I picked this up too. And I just now read this um, and just saw this. But I actually noticed this yesterday. It was one of those things that you notice. You know, you don't notice the four, the first you know four hundred times you watch the film. Mm-hmm. But I actually noticed this yesterday. Um, the guy that had the monkey. Right, he's the same guy that got shot with like fifteen poison or fifty poisonous arrows in his back. Remember, he fell forward. You know, when when in the beginning scene when he just comes out of the jungle oh, yeah. and he sees that guy, uh, Vic uh, Tablion, sees Vic Tablion, uh, and and he looks at him. He's like, oh, okay, he he did turn me in, kind of thing. You know, he he walked out without this or that, and he ended up falling forward, and he had all the 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 poisonous darts in his back. He's also the guy that had the monkey. Oh, okay. He that's why he's called uh Baranka and Monkey Man. Yeah. But I noticed that yesterday because all they did is put a eye patch over him and said, Oh, this is a different character. That's right. Uh Frank Welker, he did the voice. Frank Welker, he uh if for those who don't know, he did the voice for Megatron and I believe Optimus Prime too, right? In the original mm. in the original um uh, Transformers. He's he's a huge voice actor. Frank Welker is. Anyways, he did the voice for the uh, the, the monkey doing the Heil Hitler and Zeke Hyde and all that. He also did the monkey voice for uh, Apu. Why'd you and, have to have in Aladdin? Uh, a Nazi monkey? I mean, come on now. Yeah, he was also the voice for the the monkey in Aladdin too. So Alfred Molina. It was interesting to see him. This, this is his first role, first credited role. Uh, I, I, when I saw him, I was like. I was like, that dude is old. <laughs> like, I mean, not like, like, like you watch Spider Man. Yeah, you watch Spider Man because you're like, you know, you see Spider Man and him as Doc Ogg, and then you look back and watch this, and you're like, holy crap, he's not that young of a person. You know, like, like, he, <laughs> no, you watch Spider Man, not that young of a person. You watch Spider Man, and you don't think he's that old. Yeah, you know, like he looks, he's he's one of those people that don't age. <sighs> you know, he's got the Paul Rudd disease. You the know Paul what I mean? Rudd, or the Keanu Reeves. Yeah, but it, to be honest with you, I think Paul Rudd's got a better, even than Keanu, you know? Yeah. Like, like, I mean, he keeps his age way better than Keanu. I mean, you look at, you look at, you know, because he, because Paul Rudd plays this, this trick on Conan all the time. From, yeah, from Mac, Mac and, and me. me. So, and he literally did it. I was watching this, right? He did it to Conan on Conan's podcast. He was trying to air his, his next movie or whatever mm-hmm. and, and, and did the sound. He goes ahead and plays the clip from Mac on the podcast, and Conan's like, "Oh my god!" Like Conan literally, and and Conan can quote everything on this this thing because it's been played so many times. And he sits there and he's like, he's like, "Yeah, this actor and this this person." And he's like, "The only reason I know this is because he plays it so damn much, you know." And and he's been watching it for twenty five years, yeah. you know. Yeah. 
We've always we 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 used to watch Mac and Me all the time. I when did we were younger. When, yeah, when I was younger, because <laughs> it was the poor man's ET. Yeah. Um, so Indiana Smith. Yeah. What do you think about Indiana Smith? Well, if if George Lucas got his way, then it would be in Indiana Smith. So. Well, there was the Spielberg. Uh, it was like no, we're yeah, not going to do that. And it was based on what uh, the Steve McQueen. Uh, yeah. What is it? Nevada Smith. Nevada Smith. Yeah. Right. And so he wanted to, and I wanted to be like, come on, George be a little bit more creative than just getting another state name yeah. and having Smith or whatever. So this was originally titled, the character was originally named uh, Indiana Smith until uh, <laughs> until Spielberg and it, and was And it was like, created on a, on a beach making sandcastles. Well, they do that a lot, too. Uh, I had always heard that, you know, when he... When he, uh, when George Lucas releases a movie, he always goes on vacation because he gets too stressed out. I feel like that's what you would do. That's a totally you move. Like you can't handle the stress of everything, so I'm just gonna go on vacation. Tell me how it goes. I don't want to sit there and worry about it. Um, Spielberg says, you know, I really, I've always wanted to do like a James Bond type of movie, you know. Yeah. And Lucas is like, well, I got something even better than that. And he told him about this this archaeologist he was writing about named Indiana Smith. And uh, he was an archaeologist adventurer, you know, part time, like uh, basically a, a grave robber and all this kind of stuff. Um, not really smart. Not yeah. not not educated. Not not at the academia level. Yeah. And George Lucas wanted him to be kind of like a womanizer, like yeah. James Bond, yeah. because if you'll notice, there's a scene in in Indiana Jones where he kind of comes out and he's dressed a certain way when Martin com- or when Brody comes over. And I said Martin because Martin Brody and Jaws. Yeah. <laughs> nah. Anyways, the other J- uh, Brody from um, Indiana Jones, he comes over and, you know, uh, I think uh, Indiana Jones is like a robe or whatever. Well, basically, he had a woman in the room, but they cut that all out yeah. because Spielberg just felt like it wasn't good to have him as kind of like a, a womanizer type person. You know, just But in the later films, he like kind of was. Well, and that was why they brought in... Um, when they brought in Willie Scott and mm-hmm. uh, Temple of Doom, mm-hmm. they made it a prequel. I mean, you'll notice the, the beginning of Raker, Raiders started out South America, 1936 or whatever. Uh, Temple of Doom starts out uh, Shanghai, you know, uh, 1935. So it's a year before Raiders. Mm-hmm. So, And the reason they made that a prequel is because he said this next movie we didn't have Karen Allen. We had a different person, kind of like Bond, having a different Bond girl or whatever. But they didn't want to answer the questions of where Karen, where Marion was. Yeah. And so they're like, well, we'll just let's just make this prequel and nobody will ask us about where Marion was because he'll not have hooked up with her again yet. Yeah. But then I I wonder, I'm like, well, aren't people going to say then, well, where's Willie Scott then? <laughs> you know, where's this one? She went back to the temple. <laughs> she, she wanted some more doom. I don't think she did. I don't think that, that, that character would ever go back there. Uh, one of the most annoying know. characters in all of know. cinema history. But give her enough money, she probably would. Remember, she was kind of a gold digger. Yeah. she take my money when I'm in need. Yeah, she's a trifling friend indeed. Oh, she's a gold digger. Way over time. That digs on me. <laughs> and then and then uh in the third one, Sean Connery is the the female role, right? I mean, I think so. In a sense. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they didn't have that one, but I I and I love that movie for that reason. The 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 relationship between those two, but we'll save it. Um Raiders is almost perfect because you have three auteurs. 
doing exactly what they were blessed to do the best, right? You have Spielberg, who's a director, and he's one of the best. You have Kasdan, who's a screenwriter, and he's one of the best. He wrote Empire, a bunch of others. Um, and you have George Lucas, who is a story builder or a storyteller and a world builder, and he's one of the best. Yeah. <clears throat> um, so, I mean, you have this perfect culmination. You have Lucas, who's not trying to step out of his his real comfy zone, which is <clears throat> he's a good storyteller, world builder, and he's a good businessman. Um, that's what George Lucas excels at, and and knowing how to do the business in Hollywood in the right way, where you get to keep all your 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 IP rights and stuff. So, um, uh, Lawrence Kasdan, obviously great screenwriter. They even brought him back to do some uh, some work on the the newer movies. I'm sure the things that we like most about those, I think it was just Force Awakens, but. Um, it probably all comes from him. Mm-hmm. And then, obviously, Steven Spielberg, who will go down as one of the greatest directors of all time. Right. Um, this was always meant to be a B-movie. Um, and and I think, you know, even Spielberg said, I always just meant this to be a B-movie. You know, one of those little, um, you know, not cheesy, but um, little action, quick action uh, romps that they had the serials back in the day, the Flash Gordons and the... Mm-hmm. The, the grave robbing and all that kind of stuff just to be one of those silly adventure movies with the the music and the whip I mean they even talked about giving uh, what was it one of the villains like a robot arm that had a machine gun coming out of it you know that's some James Bond stuff right yeah you know some weird stuff like that so uh, they wanted it to be more grounded but just to be a B movie yeah. and I think that with that mentality, well, you have a mentality of let's make a B movie. You don't have the pressure of making some kind of like A class movie. Let's just go out there and have fun. You know, that's yeah. what a B movie. But when you have that mentality with the elite talent that was involved with this, not only the cast in George Lucas, uh, Steven Spielberg, but you also had uh, in, uh, uh, Harrison Ford. You know, you, you had uh, Karen Allen. You had. Um, John Rice Davies. John Rice Davies. You had all these, all these amazing. You know, Paul Freeman, uh, Denham Elliott, Alfred Molina. You know, he wasn't really there, but I mean, you had a, a lot of amazing talent in front of the camera, and you had amazing talent behind the camera. So it was always meant to be a B movie. That mentality with the elite talent pulling out. I just think the movie came off just brilliantly executed made while being total fun and not full of itself. Sometimes the intention uh, behind the filmmaking matters just as much. You know what I mean? Yeah, I get that. I mean, there was a, there was definitely a creepy feel to it though. On one part, the at age, the end though, the age difference because what with Karen Allen and yeah, Harrison like, Ford, like, like with their characters, because what was the age difference? Because basically, when he first started seeing Karen, um, basically seeing um, Marion's character, when 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 Indy ended up seeing Marion, right? Uh-huh. She was fifteen. He was twenty five. You Wait, you're just up. talking about based on however many years they were since it's been since they had that relationship or whatever. No, but if you look at it, they the the writers. Well, okay. When when they when they transferred it to the screenwriters, right? The original writing had her fifteen when she and Indy were together for at first. 
the the whenever they talk about the years long ago when they were together that's, or whatever. That's why that. What, what was the name of the oh, guy? That, that's right. Yeah, I did hear something like because in that conversation when they get together, she said something like, um, "You took advantage of I me." Was a child. You know, I was a child, and he said, you know what you were getting into. I assumed it was like she was 18, 19, something like no, that. Or even 20, saying she's I was 25. a child. She's 25 in this film, okay? And so that was 10 years ago. Oh, okay. I didn't know So was she was 15, ago. and I missed, he was- I must have missed that. Yeah, so she, she was 15, he was 25. And so now he's 35, and she's 25. I, I'd like to say, well, it was the time or whatever. Obviously, that doesn't make it okay, but it really was the time. You would have, back you know, before the 50s, before like uh, modern civilization, I guess you'd say, you'd have, you know... In her, in her uh, family marrying, you'd had not not that it was common or approved of, but it was just less shocking than it is now. Yeah. You'd have um, ages of people, especially women or girls at a younger age, dating completely wrong. But I mean, like I said, that that was in those days. You know, it just wasn't frowned upon or looked bad. Well, because if you notice what Indy said, he said, uh, she said. You know, basically talking about how her and or him, Indy and the guy that she was with at the time, I guess, or or the the friend it starts with an A. Uh, what was it? The friend Abner. Abner. Yeah. Now she said she said something something had to. I always thought Abner was her dad. Maybe, but maybe Abner what? No, because maybe the other guy, John Hurt, in the Kingdom of Crystal Skull, was her dad. Yeah. I can't remember. All I know is that, that that's the main reason that they stopped being friends. Because, you know, he kind of was, you know, like the playboy type with her. And that's why Abner and him stopped talking. Because of that. Okay. It, it was really kind of creepy, actually, from, from what I was reading behind the scenes kind of thing on this. Yeah, yeah. Abner was her dad because her name is Marion Ravenwood and his name is Abner yeah. Ravenwood. Yeah, so that's what I'm saying is that like him and Abner were friends. Or he studied under Abner. You know, he he, he was, uh, that was one of his lead professors or whatever else like that. You know, they worked together and he was under Abner and he ended up basically hooking up with Abner's daughter and that's why him and Abner uh, no longer talked. Gotcha. Yeah, because it was Colin Williams who was her spouse, and then he died. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. All right. Well, that's just something that I missed in it. I must have uh, missed the age thing. I did I did hear that, and I think I remember reading about something like that, but I didn't. I was like, ooh, that's creepy. I don't want to. <laughs> yeah, they, they probably could have left that whole thing out because that, that just really didn't. It didn't help the story. I mean, it explained. Why her, him and Abner didn't talk anymore, and it had been 10 years since they talked. But it <laughs> but it still it still was really kind of like, it was like, do you really need to have that or in there? Or you could have just said five years ago, she's 25, at least make her 20. Yeah, I mean, but but you know what I'm saying? It's like, it's it's very creepy thing. Why, like, why would you even add that in there? You know, I mean, you could have had any other reason why him and Abner talked. Like, he went in there and he stepped on Abner's toes and found something that Abner had been looking for. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. They, they probably just wanted to they started out making him a womanizer, which is their original plan. And then in post, he cut those scenes with the bedroom with her and all all that kind of stuff just because he didn't want to deal with like, ah, let's not make him a womanizer. So maybe they just didn't cut that part of it or whatever. Not that. I don't know. That's weird. 
Um, you know, Joe, I mentioned earlier that George Lucas is a good businessman, right? I mean, why? how did he get so rich? No, because he took 40% profit from these films. Well, I'm talking about, why does he rich from Star Wars? Do you remember what he did with Star Wars? Yes, he took a percentage of the total all toys. Of he took all of the merchandising, yeah. right? So when he first shopped around Star Wars, nobody wanted it. Yeah. Uh, he only got Fox to distribute it. Not, not pay for it or whatever, but just to distribute it. You know, he was able to finance it in a bunch of different ways and everything and pay people back, but... He didn't want it to be taken from him, and he yeah. told them he wanted the um, merchandising rights and he wanted the sequel rights. Yeah, and doing that made him, uh, you know, basically a billionaire. He's worth he's four or five billion dollars now. I wonder if he's kicking himself now and like, man, I shouldn't have sold over the rights. Probably not, because he's probably like, look, I'm not going to care when I'm dead. And well, you know, apparently, he still cares. He kind of does. He still comments on it, but up. I mean, like. Look, you look at his family. I don't think anybody in his family really wanted to take it over and start world building. And, you know, he just got he not that he waited too long, but, you know, the technology didn't catch up fast enough for him to do three different trilogies in total or whatever. So um, but he's a very good businessman when it comes to this stuff. And he's he actually um, is not allowed to be in the director's uh, director's guild because uh, back when he was doing Star Wars, back in those days, they'd show all the credits before the movie. And you had to, uh, due to the rules of being in the Director's Guild and all this kind of stuff, you had to show the credits to so give the actors credits. Well, George Lucas wanted all the credits at the end and wanted this to start out, bam, Star Wars, and then the crawl, and we're into the movie. You know, no titles at the beginning, no starring, nothing, none of that. Yeah. So... Uh, because of that, he wasn't allowed in the director's so guild. Dumb. So, like, he's 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 like the redhead stepchild of Hollywood. Like, he's made the most in Hollywood with the least amount of Hollywood interference. It's crazy. <clears throat> Which you know, you, the guild would you know you, you would think the the director's guild would probably rethink some things on that. You know? Maybe, but maybe they're like, no, these are our roles, and we totally respect what he's trying it's to do. But this is rule. just our, yeah, it is. I don't care who you are. I mean, I'm not a director, but I still think that that's a dumb rule. And I think that's why people like Spielberg and Scorsese and stuff continue to respect George Lucas, even though he didn't put a lot out besides, you know, what was with Lucasfilm, you know, Willow, Star Wars, yeah. Indiana Jones, and everything. But. But they had respect for him sticking to his guns, and he will not be controlled by anybody in Hollywood. He uh, he made what was at the time an unusual deal for this film. Uh, the studio financed the film's entire $18 million budget, but in exchange, Lucas would own over 40% of the film and collect almost half of the profits after the studio grossed a certain amount. So he was making bank off of this movie. Um, and it turned out to be a very re lucrative deal for him. Uh, the exact rated, you know, some of the best movies of all time. Yeah, and it was the highest grossing movie of 1981 by a high margin, by a, by far. Um, and an executive in Paramount uh, the, that read it said he felt the script for the film was the best he had ever read. And yeah. Kathleen Kennedy said the same thing. She thought it was the best script she's ever read, you know, so... And this was we, back we don't when like talking about her. This is back when KK was uh, was doing uh, was you know basically Spielberg's Miss, assistant. Yeah, oh yeah, not messing up at, uh, my childhood. Yeah. So, um, so Indiana Smith starring Tom Selleck. How how was that movie? Did did we get to see that movie? No, we almost got to see that movie. I, I it, it's just here's the thing. This is why I don't think anybody else could have done it besides. Uh, you know, with, with Harrison Ford. Yeah, I mean, 
I just don't think anybody could have done it because his his type of acting is very it's very dry. You know what I mean? He's he, he's he's Tom funny. Selleck is or Harrison no, Ford. Harrison Ford. Yeah. He's very dry. He's very straightforward. It's like you know, he no matter what role he's in, he knows exactly what he wants to do, and he's not going to let anybody get in his way to do that thing. Yeah, yeah. Star Wars. It's like I want to make some money. Oh, look, there's a pretty girl. I I want to be with this pretty girl. I'm going to be with this pretty girl. I'm going to have a children or a child with this pretty girl. Yeah. You know, I'm now. No, I think I want to go and. Uh, be a pirate again with Chewie. Be a you know? pirate. Oh, yeah. Space pirate. Yeah. I want to be a space pirate with Chewie again. Or, you know, I, I, I know that, you know, this is pissing off the Nazi army and the Nazi army will be coming for me. But you know what? Let's go ahead and uh, go ahead and steal from the Nazis and piss off the Nazis as much as possible. Actually, did you know that they uh, they realized in the movie that they really didn't have Nazis bad mouthing or talking until the very about end, near Jew, the very end about about Jewish people? So they're like in the end, Spielberg's like, oh yeah, let's have this guy say this yeah, line. This Just Jewish let's ceremony. let's remind people that the Nazis really hate the Jewish people. And he said something like, I don't, I don't feel comfortable with this Jewish ceremony and everything. But you could kind of get away with it because there were was that side of the Nazis that weren't about the Jewish people. It, it, you know, Hitler really did have a science department, you know. Yeah, uh, that's of, what uh, Hydra and Marvel was based yeah, off of. Yeah. This, this group and this was based off of. He was very much into the occult and was hoping that the occult would help them turn the tide of the war. Right, right. And, and, and that whole arm, I, I feel like that whole arm of the Nazi nazi party probably didn't really care about you know jewish people or you know singular race they cared more about the science and and you know what they could get from the science you know what i mean it wasn't it wasn't even so much like the in the same playbook as hitler in a way yeah yeah and we had a few a couple in here that looked like they're from the gestapo too mm-hmm. um <clears throat> Uh, did you have anything else to say about this in particular? Filming locations, uh, obviously, uh, the jungle at the very beginning, that was Hawaii. How many times have we been Hawaii on the show? Oh, that yeah. that first one. I where guess they, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. And, and going through the uh, the brush or whatever, or running towards the plane with a jock, start the plane. And, of course, the sound effects there sounded like the Millennium Falcon, right? If yeah. you ever heard oh, that. Oh, yeah, no, when they started up the plane. <laughs> yeah. He, and the fact that it's like CP... C-3PO. Um, yeah, it, well, it, it said CPO. Oh, yeah. And then it had R2. It said R2-CPO. Uh, yeah, but the f- very first two letters of the plane uh, indicated that it was uh, it was OB. And it, it uh, that indicates that it's in Peru, which is where they were yeah. supposed to be in the movie and everything. But, you know, this is all Hawaii. Obviously, for the majority of the movie, you know, you got sets at Elstree Studios in London, but... The rest of it, desert stuff, it's all uh, Tunisia where they filmed A New Hope. The, so basically, when you're watching this movie, you're watching Tatooine. Yeah. The original, the which, OG Tatooine. Which is also ironic, too, because, you know, everybody besides Spielberg got food poisoning on the set. Because he brought his can. SpaghettiOs. His candy. And they said that it might have been SpaghettiOs, but basically, yeah, that can type of, you know, yeah. uh, Vienna sausages or whatever, you know. And, and they even say, like, like that famous scene in the movie where, where you got the swordsman, right? And he's, like, doing all these crazy things with the sword. And then uh, Indy just shoots him. 
And just like, yeah, she's like, I want that to happen. in uh, you know, okay, no, I take that back. I don't want that to happen in other movies, but it's like the irony of that scene is that, you know, so many problems in movies could be solved if you took that, that take at it. You know what I mean? Like, oh, you're doing all these crazy little ninja things. I'm going to shoot you with a gun. Because have you seen the the clips of what they tried to do with that scene? He tried to use his whip. Yeah, there's actually scenes, and I watched it, and I'm like, oh, that could be pretty intense. But it just goes with Indy's character, that he's going to do whatever he can to get out of of his situation. And he is an artist. This is where you and I talked about a while ago. We were going to have differences in this movie because I think he's an archaeologist first you know like a a scholarly person first and an action adventure person second well, i think no, i think was, i agree with you on that one okay. I, I really do i i think i think he was an action adventure person when he was younger but i think doing it now he'll take the short whatever the short route is to get what he needs to get done he's not interested in the fighting and all that kind of well, stuff well you obviously see who but got their way on that one right that was definitely spielberg got his way because george lucas wanted him to be the womanizer action star right where where spielberg said hey let's let let him be a pillar of academia yeah. you know and 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 i feel like you know definitely spielberg spielberg's good because it kind of seems like he he knows what'll hit George Lucas, I think even with Star Wars, kind of just was like, eh, let's try this, see if it works. I feel works. like George Lucas has an, a vision of something in his mind, and he goes with it, whereas Spielberg kind of more discovers the character as it comes out. And he's more political about it. He knows he's what like, to work. Oh, that's interesting. You know, like he's figuring out the character as he goes along, and he's figuring out what works and what doesn't. That's why that, that womanizing scene got cut out, I think. Is because he's like, after doing it for so long, he's like, okay, now I know how Harrison Harrison is playing this. Now I know, okay, I don't think that this character is like that womanizer. Whereas, you know, Lucas will just power through it and be like, nope, that's that's who this person is, even if it's like a little off. So that's why his directing isn't as good, and that's why somebody with Spielberg's mind should be should be directing these movies and, and guiding these movies because he can he can see something like that, see how it's developing and go, okay, let's run with that. That's actually good. Like he's discovering the character instead of going, no, I don't care if that doesn't work right now, just go with it. This is what we wrote. This is what we're going with. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the genius of Spielberg. Yeah. So, and then, yeah, uh, the, the scene with uh, Indy and uh, he was going against the sword fighter. You know, they had practiced it. They had shot a few things. When it finally came down to that shot... Um, well, he, he had food poisoning yeah, so badly. He had it so badly that he kind of went to the, the choreographer and to Spielberg and was like, can I just, like, shoot the guy? I don't think that Indy would try to... He's trying to find Marion. Why is he going to get into a big fight? Why doesn't he just shoot this guy? And it's like one of the most famous scenes in a movie. And, yeah, and Spielberg goes... That's genius. Yeah. Just shoot him. Yeah. Why are we trying to do this huge thing with yeah. the whip? That's not Indiana Jones. Indiana Jones is trying to get the mission done and go home. Yeah. You know, he's yeah. not going to get into a fight with this guy. Yeah. But they just wanted the cool thing of the whip wrapping around the sword and him taking the sword away with the whip. But it's like, and we, it's we, we, so we, much we, more sense for him to go, ah, screw this. And, and plus, we, we find out, you know, in the third one, really, um, uh, I mean, granted, it's not in Chronicle. Uh, chronological order technically speaking but the third one uh we find out in the third one that he wasn't raised to be the action star he wasn't raised to be a, you know an uh, adrenaline junkie or nothing no like don't that. get too much into it because i i, 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 know, I know i, know, I but, think i know where you're going but that's that's all i'm gonna what say i love about last crusade yeah yeah but what i'm saying is you know he he's kind of he was raised to just kind of 
you know, get it over and done with kind of thing. You know what I mean? He wasn't raised to be, you know, like, oh, well, let's just uh, let's just uh, play around here and have some fun. And, you know, who cares about the mission? No, he was raised to stick to the mission, get it over and done with. Yeah, not only that, but he was raised very strictly. Yeah. Uh, before we get into the movie proper, uh, we're going to do our top 10 list real quick because we kind of breeze past that at the beginning. So uh, here's how I wrote my list. You tell me how you wrote your list. But I did my list as not just my favorite movies just in order, but I did my favorite because he's visited the same roles multiple times. He's actually got two main trilogies, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, I got a couple different of those roles in different spots, but they're just in different movies because he plays his roles differently. Yeah. Or more iconically in some. That's true. But that's why I kind of really, you know, my my first six films obviously are what they are. The ones afterwards are more kind of directly how I like Harrison Ford as an actor. But the first six is just, I love those films. Okay. Just, you know. Uh, All right. So what's your number 10? Hmm. Probably, I'd have to say, uh, I didn't know we were going to go like that. <laughs> we always go from I, I 10 know, to 1. I know, but that's that's what I'm saying. Well, that's why, because you never do like a full out list, and so I have it out so I can just go from 10 to 1, but you have to like, since it, you don't have it, it written out, you have to kind of figure it, it, it out. It'll have to be Patriot Games probably. Okay. All right, that's fine. Uh, Patriot Games, I don't remember that movie enough to talk about it, really. I know he played Jack Ryan, uh, someone that Alec Baldwin, Ben Affleck, um, John Krasinski. uh, Who else has played Jack Ryan? Quite a few people. Yeah. Many people have played this. It's uh, Who's the author? Tom Clancy? Yeah. So, I mean, many, many uh, novels uh, based on that character in that book. Um, but Patriot Games and Clear and Present Danger are the two different um, Jack Ryan roles that Harrison Ford had. Uh, my number 10 is Morning Glory. Um, have you ever watched that movie? Yeah. yeah. With, uh, who's in it? Uh, the what's, two, the two, what's her name? The two ladies from Family Stone. Yeah. Uh, um, give me a second. Here we go. Let's see. You've got Rachel McAdams, Rachel McAdams. Diane Keaton. Diane Keaton is the one I was trying to yeah. get. So if you've I, ever it, seen that movie, seen it. it's, it's hilarious. It is. It's hilarious because he's such a jackass. Mm-hmm. And like his chemistry with with Diane Keaton, which she's just like so, it's great. And it has Rachel McAdams. You know, can't get past that. What's your number nine? My number nine is going to be probably Air Force One. Okay. I love that movie. I have that quite a bit higher on mine. Uh, that's your number nine. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah, he plays the president uh, in that. And uh, uh, Gary um, Gary Oldman, mm-hmm. uh, Sirius Black himself, is the terrorist in that movie. Um, it's a great movie. It's Die Hard on a Plane, you know? Yeah. But it's done in such a great way. I, Harrison Ford is such a great action hero. He moves really weird in fight scenes. If you ever notice, like yeah. he's very, very deliberate when he's grabbing people and punching people. You know, he's very much a stage actor. Kind of like Timothy Oliphant. 
not yeah not not well timothy oliphant can sell it sell it a bit but i think han solo uh, Han Solo, harrison ford is like i don't know he's very much a stage fighter to where like you can really tell it's kind of a, a stage fight he still does great though i love that movie yeah the the end is <laughs> a little silly and everything how they yeah. got off the plane and everything but get off my plane remember that yes i do uh my number nine is what lies beneath that's pretty good and i put that on there because it's the very rare okay we got spoilers for anybody who hasn't seen what lies beneath i'm gonna give you three seconds one two three um so it's the only it's one of the only roles that you see him as a bad guy and you don't know he's a bad guy until the end but uh him and michelle pfeiffer they have great chemistry Mm -hmm. uh and, and it's it's a this creepy supernatural murder mystery type of thing, uh, which you don't see Harrison Ford do much of that type mm-hmm. of thing, you know. Uh, usually, he's like in political deals or science fiction, whatever. Um, but this was interesting because it was basically a horror movie, and you find out in the end that he is a terrible, terrible person, and you just don't see Harrison Ford in an awful role like that, where he's such a yeah, bad guy. Right. Uh, what's your number eight? My number eight is probably going to be. I'd have to say. Did we say this is a top ten of our Harrison, our favorite Harrison Ford roles? So. <laughs> I'm I'd sure have to say probably Blade out. Runner. At number eight. Yeah. Oh, I thought I almost had that. I think I think we might break our tradition here. Uh, okay, uh, so you're gonna be surprised at my number one. You won't be surprised on mine. Uh, Blade Runner. Okay, I have that a little bit higher. Um, and that was your number eight. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, that was a a very uh, weird movie. I didn't see that until I was much older, and I always heard of that. Oh, Blade Runner! It's like this revolutionary thing, and I watched it, and it was pretty good. But if I had watched it when I was younger, I probably would have been a lot more intrigued with it because I definitely wouldn't have understood it as much as as a kid or whatever. But yeah, um, it's a great movie. It's got it's got all the great sci fi tropes in it. It's got a little mystery to it. The ending is fantastic. It's got some great lines. Beautiful cinematography. Great movie. We got to talk about that sometime. Yeah, he, he was what Rick Deckard in that, right? Mm-hmm. And then there's, of course, there's the ever-present question: is uh, is there are the replicants or is Deckard a replicant? Yeah, you know. And uh, I, think, I mean, the the remake was kind of bad because it was it was more. Uh, like, it was, it was shot really well. Ryan Gosling. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, it was more around him. Uh, okay, my number eight was The Devil's Own with Brad Pitt. Uh, very good movie. Uh, Harrison, Ford, uh, or Harrison Ford does a really good job in that. But these three here, 10, 9, and 8, Morning Glory, What Lies Beneath, and Devil's Own, those are more movies that I'll come back to every once in a while. The rest of these are like my Harrison Ford top tops. Mm-hmm. Great performances. And you said that was like your first six too, right? Or did you say seven? Mm-hmm. I can't remember. Yeah, last. I'll show you. You're fine. Okay, so what's your number seven? Star Wars, the first one. You just say okay. So Star Wars and A New Hope, mm-hmm. number seven. Han in A New Hope. Okay, there we go. So keeping up our tradition. The Usually reason, it's a little reason, higher. The but. reason that it it wasn't higher than the other th- uh, two is because it's just mainly his introduction into the Star Wars world. I mean, it's my introduction to Harrison Ford. I don't actually have one of the originals on my list because while the, I like the movie, I I think that 
Well, I'll just say it right now. I think that his his performances in A New Hope and Empire were his best. Yeah. I thought what Return of the Jedi was okay, but you could tell, like, he wanted that character killed off anyways. He didn't want to come back and do a third one. He thought he thought Han Solo should have been killed off. Well, I get that, but still, I, I felt like his performances were better in the he, other ones. Well, yeah, and that, that, maybe that's just a preference thing. I, I, I thought that the first two were great. Obviously, the first one was the introduction. He was still a scoundrel in that one, too. Mm-hmm. The Empire, he was a bit of a scoundrel, but he was more honorable, and he had a lot more fleshing out, and him and Leia mm-hmm. and all that. Return of the Jedi, I... It just didn't click as much with me. He's great in it, but for me, it just felt like he was kind of just going through the Han Solo motions. There were no real great moments that you could grab onto, and and you know, like uh, when they're in the Death Star, kit, you know, better her than me, you know, yeah. that that type of thing. And mm-hmm. anyways, um, but yeah, that's why I put it there. I might not have even put it on there, but it was just it, the introduction for everybody to Han Solo had mm-hmm. to go on our list. So. And here's support for me. Yeah, I mean, for the most part. I mean, I I remember watching uh, um, American Graffiti when I was real young, but it's probably still after Star Wars. Yeah. Uh, I've always known Harrison Ford as Han Solo, you know. Uh, what's your number six? My number six, Empire Straight Back. Okay, Han and Empire. Gotcha. Uh, uh, same thing that we were just talking about. Um, my number six is Indy in uh, Raiders and Temple. Now, when I first wrote this, I had Indies and Raiders. I didn't even have Temple on here. Um, but in preparation for this, I actually started watching some of Temple as well. And I got real excited to watch Temple. And I, I don't often get excited to watch mm-hmm. Temple. Uh, I don't think it's a bad movie. I just think it's the weaker of the three. Um, but there's a lot of great about it. It gets way too much hate for, for what it is. Dr. Jones! <laughs> You're not supposed No, I'm just kidding. We're, we're short right <laughs> I was now. waiting for you to go. Every time I say that, you say I'm not allowed to say that. Um, you said that in one of our episodes. Yeah. But it, it, Indies and Raiders and Temple, he he did great in this movie, and he did great in the, the, the second movie. He's not as good as he is in Last Crusade. I think that's his best performance as Indiana Jones is in Last Crusade. Oh, yeah. I agree. Because you really get to see the real Indiana Jones. You know, you have the swashbuckling guy who puts this you know cool guy persona out to everybody but when he's around his dad mm-hmm. i feel like you get to see the real indie you know all that is yeah wiped away which yeah. we'll get into more but <clears throat> yeah so i have indies and raiders and temple tied for my number six what's your number five um it's gonna be last jedi the last jedi or not uh, uh return of the jedi, jedi. sorry got gotcha, you return jedi. of the jedi god hopefully i was like can we do you mean that? the last skywalker because can we erase any of that <laughs> jeez louise wait was it called the last jedi yeah rise of skywalker force awakens the last jedi oh you just said let it rule gross i was like he wasn't even in gross. that movie that was the one movie of the pre- of gross. the sequels that he wasn't in because he was in the first one and the second like, and the last one. Putting the word liking in that movie in the same paragraph or sentence, heck yeah. No. Okay, so now that I just said that I didn't think he did as good as a job in Return of the Jedi, what do you what do you like about his performance in Return of the Jedi that made that your number six? I always go back to the Jabba scene, you know, where where Jabba gets killed by Leia, you know, and 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 he takes down basically takes Boba Fett down blindly, which we find out now that he didn't actually take Boba down. 
He yeah. just kind of he basically basically turned Boba into a uh, normal person at that point. I liked it because you got the sense he's he's wondering where he and Leia stand during the yeah. whole movie because the last thing they did was kiss on the Millennium Falcon and she said that she loved him and that's the last thing he remembers right yeah. right before he goes into Carbonite. Yeah. So now that at this one, uh, you know, it was like he got back and for some reason they have him running a mission when he's been out of commission mm-hmm. for like over a year. Mm-hmm. And if you look at the comics, actually, there's a whole storyline of how Han gets stolen from Boba Fett on the way to Jabba's, and he gets taken all over the place, and the rebels are hunting him down, and Boba's trying to hunt him down, and you know you just got uh, Han Solo just stuck in this trap carbonite. I mean, he's literally General General Solo. You know, I mean, he he becomes a general at that point. Yeah, but I mean, he's just stuck in carbonite, and there's nothing he can do, but. It's pretty funny, but, you know, and then the rest of the movie, he's kind of just like, you know, going on the mission with Leia, but he doesn't bring it up, but he's like desperate to find her when she goes missing, and then, you know, whenever he says, I love you, and she's like, I know, you know, she throws that line, great stuff. Yeah. Uh, My number five is Deckard and Blade Runner, I put Blade Runner at number five because I think it's just a very iconic one for him. Uh, What's your number four? Uh, My number four is... Probably Raiders of the Lost Ark. Okay. Yeah. So you had that a bit higher than I did. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, which we're about to get into. Uh, my number four is uh, the president. About to get into. Oh, wait. Did we say yeah, just we say are. our number four? Yeah. Oh. Raiders. Okay. So my number four is the president in Air Force One, which we've already talked about. I just think that that's one of his greatest roles. Yeah. Um, what's your number three? Uh, Temple of Doom. Indian Temple. Okay, I like Temple of Doom better. It not so better much than what um, than Raiders. Raiders. Okay. The reason being is because I like the characters around him better. You know, like Short Round and uh, what's her face? You liked Willie Scott? Yeah, I did. I did. See, because, I, I because think, she I was think totally, she's totally, funny, but she I just think total, it just goes overboard just a little bit too much. But but like Marion is more like Indiana Jones. She's tough. She's an archaeologist. We'll you know, she 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 her dad was an archaeologist, so she knows a little bit about this. Where Willie Scott is totally opposite of of that side of of Indiana Jones. But Indiana needs somebody like Marion. <clears throat> to do all his spelunking and, and cave and, and oh, yeah. grave robbing that he's going to do. He cannot have somebody like Willie Scott who's going to scream every two minutes when they go into... But I thought Temple of Doom was a lot better because you got into more of the uh, the temple, the, the the archaeological side. Now, with, with this, you yeah, you go to the desert a little bit, but I mean, it was more or less kind of like an introduction to Indiana Jones and let's, let's kind of give a little background with it. With Temple of Doom... You get a lot more into the archaeological side, I feel like. Well, and cultists and all that. Yeah, kind of yeah, stuff. yeah. But, but that's that's why I enjoyed Temple of Doom better than Lost. I like it a lot. I put I put Raiders and Temple probably pretty even, and only because Raiders I've seen so many times, and it's so iconic. It's the only Indiana Jones movie in the Library of Congress and all that. But it's so iconic. But it it's. I, mean, I just hell, seen it so the many times. In the Smithsonian, yeah, you know what I mean, yeah, and uh, so I just I enjoy Temple of Doom just because I haven't seen it as often. And there's, I mean, one of the best action set pieces of all the movies is the minecart. Well, and, and then not only that, you know, um, Temple of Doom is where I got introduced to Indiana Jones. But I mean, besides Star Wars, okay. I mean, I mean, so you watch okay, Temple I mean, of? Let me rephrase that. It's where I got introduced to Harrison Ford as Indiana Jones because I didn't watch. Uh, you watched Temple of Doom first. I did watch Temple of Doom. First. <clears throat> See, I think I have a memory of watching Last Crusade first. 
because I don't think I was. Well, I think I started watching them well after they came well, out. Well, here's what's funny is as I was probably five years old, I remember where I watched Last Crusade. If it's the Scouts thing, then I was there too, yeah. but I was too young for that because I remember it. So I think you were probably more like seven and I was my, more like f- probably five or something like yeah. that because it was right before we left Maine. Well, because uh, let's see, Lost Ark, uh, Lost came out in 81 and then when did Temple of Doom come out? Uh, a couple years later. And then Crusade came out like later 89. 80, 89. So yeah, that'd be about right. Watching Last Crusade, 89, yeah. So you watch Temple first. Okay. So that's your number three, yeah. Indian. Uh, my number three is, um, I didn't kill my wife. I don't care. <laughs> great, Tommy great movie. Jones, yeah, Harrison Richard Kimball as The Fugitive. Obviously, uh, The Fugitive was a remake from the original TV show, The Fugitive. Uh, this was the movie version starring uh, Harrison Ford as... Uh, the eponymous uh, uh, fugitive, Richard Kimball, who was a doctor and uh, blamed a one-armed man for murdering his wife. I, I had that a lot higher up on my list. I'm sure it's number one, right? Yes. Okay. So I had to put fugitive here, but- But it's I, close. It's I, a close. It's I a close. almost put it on number one. If he wasn't so part of nerd culture, uh, Harrison Ford, yeah. Richard Kimball, or uh, fugitive, obviously that would be oh, first yeah. place. Obviously. Yeah. Um, but that's my first. But it's a very, very close first second, you know, because m- mine obviously is, you know, Last Crusade is number two, right? But very, very, I mean, it, it can be almost interchangeable. It's that close, you know, for me. Yeah. But his his role in Fugitive, I felt like that was more so not like a nerd, nerdy type cultural role for him. Uh-huh. You know, it was his kind of like his, I think it was his, what what is the word they call it? Like, you know, your your masterpiece. You know what I mean? Yeah. In a way, I, I felt like Fugitive was his masterpiece was, uh, as an actor. What is that called? Magnum opus. Yeah. There That's what we're, it's Latin, not French. Yeah. But okay. yeah, their magnum opus, his yeah. magnum opus is the Fugitive. It, yeah. I believe it is because, because it's not, it's not culturally looked at as being a, a nerd type film or in, in that type of shade, you know right, what I mean? But you were saying that you're a bigger fan of Harrison Ford through Indy. 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 Uh, yeah. Yes, absolutely. But I mean, that's in, in Star Wars, he was always playing second or third fiddle, yeah. you yeah. know, and even maybe fourth or fifth fiddle because, you know, Luke was definitely the first, you know, and Vader was such a huge yeah. thing. I mean, he went down even back then as one of the, one of the, if not the greatest movie villains of all time. Villains, but, correct, correct. But yeah, this this is this was Harrison Ford's starring role. This was his trilogy. The other one that was Luke's trilogy, or it's Vader's trilogy, or it's George Lucas's trilogy, whatever you want to say. Yes, this was Steven Spielberg, and, and but that was Harrison Ford's own hero trilogy. As Indiana Jones, she was the title character. So I get that. Uh, sorry, real quick, I just want to get past this list. What's your number two? Uh, uh, the Last Crusade. Okay, so The Last Crusade. But a very, very, very close second. I mean, that should have been first. Indian Crusade. Okay, so now we have two that were, and I was going to say, because usually our ones that are the same are pretty high up. So that continues the tradition. So we have- Even more so this time. We have Han and and Anuho both at number seven, and we both put Indian Crusade at number two. Yeah. I mean, I I, originally when I was thinking up the list, I was like, you know, because I did like the title. I liked him as, as, as- What's not Matt Ryan or Jack Ryan or is Jack 
Jack yeah, Ryan. Jack Ryan. You know, I, I really liked him in those roles. Like yeah. I felt like he did. I just don't so have as well. much. I don't have as much experience with. It. I think I've only seen both of those once yeah. ever, and just never came back. I've never been a Jack Ryan fan or yeah. whatever. So yeah, I li- I liked it, and and you I know, couldn't put him on here. You know, Krasinski obviously does it better than than Ben Affleck, but you know, and and he's continuing to what do about it. Alec Baldwin. <laughs> But he did a very good job in that that movie. Like he played this this guy who just like was just like amazed by everything and just like left behind by everything. Yeah. Uh, your number one, um, fugitive. The fugitive. That's right. Um, so we start off uh, 1936. Uh, American archaeologist Indiana Jones uh, recovers an idol from a booby-trapped Peruvian temple. So we start off it's in fertility Peru. idol, by the way. Right. It's it a birth. woman giving birth or something. Yes, it's okay. A little weird. So they start off. It's 1936. Uh, they're in Peru, and um, Indiana Jones is with a few people. They're trying to track down this this idol. Uh, one of them. Uh, one of them dies. And because he betrays him, and then it's just it's just Indiana and um, yeah, he betrays him. But then we see him later on with the monkey. Well, yeah, you know, literally the, as I a mean, different character or yeah, whatever. Different but, character, but yeah, so really random. So uh, Han Solo, oh, this is gonna get really hard. Indiana Jones mm-hmm. and um, Alfred Molina go into the the temple. They uh, they get past some booby traps and everything, which. You know, the way he steps up on rocks and goes around stuff, it didn't seem like it was very good bo- Good booby traps. felt like you could get around it pretty easily. Yeah, but. like how did the guy not even get through the the first guy, not really get through the first entrance? Because, I mean, they did, they all just kind of walked in. They didn't really do no, any no, I mean, puzzles or anything. The guy that didn't even walk in, remember he said, he said this is as far as yeah, so-and-so guy. And he's like, he, he, didn't he was enter good, into really the, good. Yeah, he didn't even enter into the cave. But how, how do these Peruvian... Uh, you know, tribal uh, cultures or whatever societies, whoever made this temple, how do they have booby traps that are activated by light movements? You know, like it's almost like you remember he put his hand in the light and it shot the arrow Mm -hmm. or whatever. And it's like, what is that? Like, like motion sensors? Like how how did you get motion sensors in the light? Well, be careful when you say this because you got to also remember last crusade. Some of those things were, Oh, I know. And we're going to criticize those. Like, like these movies are fun and you can throw away the science behind the traps or booby traps or whatever. But how, how are they so accurately on point? going in but then going out he was just like they were shooting all kinds he of directions and off. not one hit him and, yeah. then, and then when they try to start chasing him not one of the poison arrows or the, that's what i'm saying when he the ran, arrows when he, hit him. when he ran across the stones all those arrows came out but they came behind him so basically what it showed is that anytime you're tomb raiding or anything like that just run, run. through the shit just real run. quick as fast as you can I think there's even game shows because if you can get to the other side it's like american ninja warrior or yeah. whatever you can get yeah. to the other side by parkouring and everything oh, you yeah. should be good you, you know there's a time delay in those those trip wires and stuff so those arrows should come Right after you. So. And my question is, is, I guess the bag of sand that he puts up was heavier than the idol, but I don't feel like that was well, the Well, he waited, because remember, he put sand before they went in, yeah. so he obviously knew that there was going to be some, but he did have to pour a little bit out, one for his homies, you know? Yeah, but obviously not enough. But yeah, apparently not enough, or maybe too much, or whatever, but the weight didn't sit right. 
So, but I mean, it's just how many times have you seen that spoofed? You know, I think yeah. the Muppet Babies even did it back yeah. in the day. You know, mm-hmm. I think that 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 scene right there of him switching out the item with the bag of sand—it's just been so redone and so yeah. spoofed and so honored. I, I mean, hell, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy does it. With, yeah, with uh, Star Lord. Yeah, you know, I mean the, the that whole opening sequence of Guardians of the Galaxy. You know, yeah. after he gets kidnapped or after he gets abducted when he's an uh, older person, that's like almost. I mean, it's very, very close to Raiders, yeah. you know. And then, you know, instead of the, obviously we have the awesome ball, which are the the rock, and that was a three hundred pound fiberglass made yeah. uh, prop. Uh, so no big, no big, or no, nothing to shy away at or anything if it runs you over, but it probably won't kill you. Yeah. Uh, but he, I think they did that ten or twenty times. Uh, did that thing, and uh, you know, even stumbled a couple times, but he was able to outrun it. No big deal. So um, he gets the he gets the idol. The other dude ends up getting died when he betrayed him and everything. But when he gets out, um, he's met by a rival, and this was supposed to be like his Moriarty, is what they said. You know, they needed like a Dooku, Moriarty right? type of person. Dooku? Um, Belloc. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Did it look like Christopher Lee? Maybe a well, little bit. It, it kind of resembled the, the, the personality and the character kind of resembled Dooku a little yeah, bit. Yeah, a little bit. Uh, so Belloc corners him and steals the idol, uh, and uh, Indiana Jones distracts the people, and then it starts running away. The, the tribe well, starts ch- chasing him to kill him. What was he talking about when Belloc was saying, uh, there we go, basically, you know, me taking something from you again? What was he talking about originally? What I think he did, they're probably just rivals because they said that this was supposed to be like his Moriarty. Like they, these two are always going after the the same types of things. And now Belloc's gotten in with the Nazis, and so like he's able to because his name is Rene Belloc, so I guess he's French or something yeah. like that. So he hooked up with the Nazis and and you know used their resources to help him you know go go temple diving and everything and. Um, so he's always had to say, like, obviously Indiana is better. And so what he knows is that he can get to a certain place, let Indiana do the hard work. And then when he comes out, he could just steal what he's Yeah, because, taken. I mean, it, it doesn't really show him. Like, he doesn't even seem like he's really interested in what he's finding. He's just interested in beating Indiana every step of the, the way. Like, oh, I mean, he got he, pretty obsessed with the, the arc, though. Well, he did. But, but, I mean, even then it was like, it didn't seem he was as into it even as Indy was as much as Indy was trying to locate it himself he wasn't into it as much you know what I mean like I mean maybe because he was looking at like well Indy will find it and I'll just take it from him yeah yeah, uh, you know, the cool part about this one is that, you know, Indiana, he looks so cool and maybe even like sinister to a point. Because remember when that other guy brought a, he brought a gun up and he was going to shoot Indiana in the back and he quickly whipped around with his whip and, you know, knocked it out of his hand and all that. And, you know, <laughs> remember when Alfred Molina got scared and he's like, yeah. It's very like old time acting yeah. or whatever, but but you get the sense that this guy could maybe even be an antihero or even a bad guy. Yeah, that's what I like about it. It's like he's all like got this, you know, you know, comes out of the shadows. His first, so you don't see like a hero shot when you first see him. You see him whip something, and then it cuts to him, and you just see darkness in his face, and he steps towards the camera, and it's a little bit of lightness. So you, you're not really sure what. But then at the end of that scene, he's running away. Jock! Jock! Start the engine! Get it up! Jock! The engine! Start the engine! 
that he's lost all his suave swagger and everything. He's screaming as he runs away. And we even see something that he's afraid of, which is the snake in the front seat. Yeah. And he's like, I hate snakes. So he's supposed to be like this badass guy, but then you kind of shatter that all in the beginning. Say, okay, this yeah. guy's going to be a little different because now we're seeing his. And the whip sound effect. That's a little too much, don't you think? Yeah. The whole thing, like every time. Or what about the punching? Even when the the body punches. Oh yeah, didn't they use like a baseball bat with some like yeah, on leather? leather a, yeah, it was a leather jackets or something like that, or yeah. something leather. They would hit it with a baseball bat, and I'm like, I'm like, Dude, really I would love like to that. do stuff like that. Uh, just like do all the different sound effects and all that. It'd be awesome. Yeah. Um, so, anyways, he gets into the uh, the waiting sea plan, uh, sea plane, and Belloc gets to keep the idol, and Indiana Jones takes off, goes home. Um, he, we find out. Do we see the map jumping that Indiana Jones movies are known for, where it's like, yeah, yeah. I think you only see it briefly in this film, right? Like, right. Well, you the, see it when he goes to uh, Nepal to okay. find Marion, and then yeah, and then you see it when he goes to uh, Egypt. And yeah. then I don't think you see it after that. But, I mean, you see them in all these. I mean, whenever Marion and him take off from Shanghai, yeah. they get on, and you know, before they have to do the crash landing or whatever. Yeah. But um, So uh, he's a professor, and you see that he's talking very boring-like in class. Yeah. So he likes the work, but he doesn't like the extremes of the other side. Like, he doesn't want to get in too much action drama adventure stuff. Like, he likes the adventure, but... You know, he doesn't want to get in too much of it. But he doesn't want to really be in the classroom all the time. He wants to find a happy medium. He likes the adventure, just doesn't want it to get too hairy. And he likes the academia, doesn't want it to get too dry. So he finds himself very distracted because all the girls in the class have crushes on him. And they all, you know, they're writing stuff on their eyelids and throwing him off his game or whatever. Uh, but you could tell that, like, maybe that was where the womanizing was coming in. Um, but during that scene when he, he was looking at now, obviously they're his students, so he should be awkward about it. Yeah. But you see, you got the sense that he wasn't kind of like smiling like about it. Remember in uh, Transformers Part 2, uh, Rain Wilson, who played Dwight yeah. in The Office, remember yeah. he was the professor and he was like flirting with all the girls and they're all like, oh, he's so hot and everything. Yeah. But he was like this weird, weird guy. Yeah. It's yeah. kind of like that. But but uh, Han or Indiana didn't want any of it. Have you noticed the only person that brought him an apple was a dude? The last dude out. I didn't know. I, didn't, I don't know. Maybe he thought <laughs> Brody ends up taking the apple and puts it in his pocket. But <laughs> but uh, the last, the only person to bring him an apple is a guy, and he was like the only guy in the entire class, and he brings him an apple. And this starts out the same way as uh, Last Crusade starts mm -hmm. out with a quick little adventure, and then him going back to school before being pulled away. Skate well, jumping out the window to get away from the. The, the the female persuasion yeah yeah and then and the third one he he got in because he, he was so famous by that point and everything yeah. um so two army intelligent agents uh tell him that the nazis are excavating tanis and uh which which perks up brody and in, in indiana's ears because like well that's one of the last uh, possible resting places of the lost ark yeah. And they don't know what that is. So um, they're like, well, well, that's why we came to you, because they got a telegram uh, from the Nazis. Uh, they were talking about this guy named Abner Ravenwood. Uh, and that was one of uh, one of Indiana's, you know, old friends is and mentor, really. Okay. Remember, didn't yeah. Abner? Abner was one of his mentors, taught him how to do a lot of stuff. Right. So 
Indiana, he fi- figures out that the Nazis are looking for the Ark of the Covenant. Um, and if they say, if they, if you have the Ark at the front of the army, your army is invincible. You mm-hmm. know, they, they see pictures. And and uh, one of the things I like about it is they, they uh, you know, they're asking, oh, what's, what's the yellow lightning? What's this stuff? And, and he goes, lightning, fire, power of God or something. Power of God or something. Yeah. Um, so they never really question belief, but I, I feel like this whole trilogy is about Indiana's journey from historian academic to believer. Now, I'm not saying what he believes in necessarily, what Last Crusade was about or whatever, but he's a skeptic right now. He's an archaeologist and a skeptic. And I feel that this movie takes you, it takes him from being a skeptic academic to a believer in the supernatural to be, you know, extra natural. Well, you would think he would be that way after Temple of Doom. You would think, but I mean, he could, he remember he probably chalked a lot of that up to just being brainwashed by a cult. He didn't probably actually think because I mean he didn't see much of the crazy stuff that was going on, did he? He was under the because he was hypnotized during the last part of that movie or something. I mean, he did see going through the chest and pulling out the heart kind of thing. Yeah, but I mean, Andy Kaufman saw that same thing and figured out that that wasn't real, you know when they were trying to do his treatments and everything. I don't know. Um, I just feel like it's it's a man that's definitely a skeptic because at the beginning, he's like, if you believe in that type of thing, yeah. you know, and, and he even says to, Mar- uh, to Marcus, he's like, I don't believe in this hocus pocus mumbo jumbo. Basically the same thing that Han said in the first Star Wars movie. Yeah. I, saw, I saw just a bunch of hocus yeah. pocus. And so the fact that he doesn't believe in the supernatural, the extra natural, but then I think by the end of, obviously by the end of Last Crusade, there are things that are in concrete. Okay, I believe now because I've seen this guy who obviously is hundreds of years old. I've drank that stuff and didn't die like this other person. I've given it to my father and watched his wound disappear, you know, that yeah. type of thing. So I think he goes from one to the other. Um <clears throat> I, I don't know. I just, I, what do you think? I mean, do you think well, that there's a journey throughout the entire no, trilogy? I, I think what it is is more or less that he knew his father believed in it. And even then, I think he was still so much of a scientist, archaeologist that he still didn't believe it, even though, but he felt like his father believed it. And so that was good enough for him. Yeah. In a way, if that makes any sense. Like, yeah. I feel like no matter what, he's always going to be a skeptic. No matter what he sees or what he's exposed to. He'll be a skeptic to anything he skeptic. comes to at the beginning. Like, okay, I'm a skeptic until you prove me wrong. Okay, now I know that that's supernatural. But over here, you're still a skeptic. Yeah, I don't think he's going to completely open him up. Mm-hmm. But I think there's lines in Kingdom of Crystal Skull where he's kind of like, I don't know, I've seen some things, you know. By that point, he's like, kind of like, hey, I know shit can happen. Yeah. It's crazy. So... Anyways, um, he agrees to uh, go and try to get the Ark first so that the Nazis don't get it. Um, he knows well, the first as long as he gets the Ark in their museum. Right. And uh, he's the only place he knows where to start is Abner's daughter, and that's Marion Ravenwood. And somehow he knows that she's in Nepal for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. And um, he talks with Marion. You know, we see her at the beginning. You know, and she's having this this drinking contest with this huge burly looking mountain dude, right? And she kicks his butt, and uh, you know, and even kind of like makes it look like she's about to not do too. Uh, but then you know, 
like she fakes them out. So mm-hmm. she's almost like a like kind of like a scam artist. She can apparently hold her liquor very very well. Um, so she wins some money, and uh, Indiana Jones silhouette comes through the door, mm-hmm. and that's when we get that creepy talk about you left me when yeah. blah 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 blah. Yeah. blah. Um, so. Uh, they talk about it. He's like, where is it? And, you know, she punches him a couple times or come, punches him once, tries to punch him another time. She's like, look, come back later. Uh, she's extremely tough, right? The complete opposite of Willie Scott in Temple of Doom, uh, where she couldn't do anything by herself. Uh, whereas Marion is rough and fast talking. Um, she can fight for the most part. You know, uh, they had that fight scene with those guys in that, in that, uh, place in Nepal, mm-hmm. the bar or whatever. Um, just very different. But somebody that I feel Indiana needs, somebody mm-hmm. that strong and tough. What do you think? Yeah. What was your first impro- what was your impression of her? Well, I remember her in Animal House. So yeah. it was kind of hard to see that. I remember her in Scrooged yeah. oh, with yeah, Bill Murray. That's right. Yeah. He was her love interest. Yeah, that's true. Or she was his love interest, I mean. No, I mean, she was definitely the Roman... Uh, she wasn't the academia type like her father or like her love interest. You yeah, know she didn't I mean? really seem much into the academics yeah. of where or this the was ar- at all. She, she, she almost like knew archaeology just because her dad was an archaeologist. I don't even way. think she did because she didn't do one thing towards the archaeology. She had that... She had the pen... Uh, pen what is it? Amulet. Amulet, whatever that yeah. thing is. A MacGuffin. And but she felt like she was just holding on to it because it would get maybe it would get her somewhere. She could sell it for something. Yeah. But she wasn't into it for what it meant. Maybe she was just keeping it because it was her dad's or whatever. Yeah. But um, so, anyways, um, she tells him no, Abner's dead, and so he's like, well, that sucks really bad. Uh, but then you got the the, the Gestapo dude, uh, obviously Gestapo looking guy mm-hmm. with you know the bowler hat and everything. Uh, so he uh, he arrives to get the medallion, and they start a fight. And the whole thing, the whole bar gets lit on fire, and they decide to team up and work together. Uh, so the two get back on that little map, the little red line map, mm-hmm. uh, and they go to Cairo, and that's where they meet Sala. Now, is this the first time you see John uh, Rice Davies in a role? Yeah, but it's he's one of those characters that you kind of forget because he does such a wide range of characters like I mean you see him in Lord of the Rings and you're like you know he's a big guy <laughs> you know what I mean he is and not my axe yeah he's he's not a small guy like he's taller than Harrison Ford you know and and then you see him in Lord of the Rings and he's supposed to be one of the smallest characters on the show and you're like he's probably one of the biggest guys in the room yeah but Elijah Wood's not short well they yeah are. but Sean Astin is not yeah. short yeah. well yeah but you know what I mean Billy, like, yeah it, it just it's kind of like, and see, I think it was George Lucas or, or Spielberg, either one of them. They they saw they felt like he was a, a very Shakespearean type actor, and so that's why they cast him in this role, you know, because they heard him talk, and that's what sold them on him playing this character. Because, you know, they were like, okay, you know, let's let's get some somebody who's Arabic or or you know of that you know Egyptian or something like that. But then they pull out some guy with you know. Obviously, born and raised in England type th- situation. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean, and and but lo- maybe looks the part, I guess. Or I'm trying to remember who was gonna play him. Mm. I can't remember who it was, but <laughs> um, 
Uh, what was I going to say? Okay, so they, they travel to Cairo. They meet Sala, uh, who obviously is just some friend of... He, he obviously knows knows antiquities as well. Yeah. But he's just kind of a friend to Indiana. Street. Probably knows Abner. Probably part of this whole, you know, tomb spelunking, yeah. you know, group of archaeologists or whatever. Yeah. Well, he's 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 head of a digging cruise, you know, out in Egypt. And you, you got to understand, probably around in the 30s, stuff like that, you know, people were like, well, let's go dig up a bunch of mummies, you know, and stuff like that, you know. So he's probably doing very well. Plus, he, you know, he, he always knew what was going on. That was like his town. You know what I mean? Like, he always knew what was going on, who was doing what. Nazis were doing this. Nazis were digging here. They were looking for this. You know, like, he had ears on the street yeah. type thing. Yeah, it was, I mean, especially when you talk about Cairo and Egypt, you know, it's just a place where archaeologists from all over are going to come. There's so much so much work to be done there for archaeologists, mm-hmm. at least back in the past there was. Um, and so... We get to a point where uh, Sala tells them what the like you're saying what the Nazis were up to. You know they they said the Belloc is assisting the Nazis now, um, and they've made an incomplete replica based on the burns from the Gestapo dude. So what happened is they, when, they, they don't outright say that. Like you you you. He did say they have a replica in UDC that he had the imprints in his hand and everything. But, but yeah, but when they're talking about how they got this, they said, you know, well, they've only got one side of it. You know, how how is that possible? They don't really actually go into detail until they physically show when he does the Heil Hitler thing. You see it on his hand, then you're like, oh, that's how they did it. You well, know I mean? and I've seen this before. I, so I could have I could have sworn that he did actually say it because this actually said it. He reveals that Belloc. Uh, as helping the Nazis who have fashioned a replica based on the burns. But what we skipped over is that during that fight in the bar in Nepal, um, the Gestapo dude uh, got his hand burned when uh, the medallion went in the fire and it got all hot and he went and grabbed it and uh, ran out, put his hand in the snow and everything. And then he had kind of the imprint on his hand. So they made the medallion based on the imprint, but he only grabbed the one side. And the instructions for how to find Tannis um, actually have two different instructions. One on the front, which tells you what row and everything you're supposed to put that staff in the hole. But then it says you take away one. I thought it was the height. Well, what it is is you take away one so that when that light comes down, um, if it was forward, the height would be higher and therefore uh, it shines light here. But since it's back, it's supposed to actually be back two holes, it makes it shorter to where it's now going. You know, it's based on the perspective of it or whatever. Um, but so anyways, he, he, you know... It, he has those 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 things on his hand, but then uh, they when they go to the imam, which is the the religious leader in a, a mosque, um, mm-hmm. he tells them that there's what you're supposed to do. He goes, but wait, and then he turns it over to the other side and shows that there's one little extra instructions of what you got to take, you know, what you got to do for this or what you got to do for that or whatever. Mm-hmm. A, a warning against disturbing the ark and and the correct measurements for the staff of Ra. So that's when they realize, oh, the Nazis are actually digging in the wrong place because they didn't have that second set of instructions. Mm-hmm. But before that happens, uh, the Nazi soldiers and the mercenaries, they, they attack Indiana and, and Marion and everything. And uh, then we got that basket chase scene. And uh, Spielberg actually said his favorite part is the basket chase scene. Uh, 
And that's probably because it's so technical. You have to get the right ones, and then you know it's over here. And so you have to really know which shots have to be where and what order and which what's the order of things. So I felt that, you know, he had said that his favorite part of that was, it was that part because he's a director, and that's a very technical scene, figuring out where all the baskets were and everything. You know, George Lucas's favorite scene is that truck sh- truck's case. Truck chase. Uh, which is one of, if not the best, chase scenes, you know, vehicle chase scenes or whatever in all of cinema. But he likes that because he's a storyteller. Uh, he's a storyteller whose favorite thing. Last to Crusade s- kind of rivals it with that that chase scene there too. Wait, what? Last Crusade. Well, I mean, yeah, they, they are, you're talking about the chariot one or whatever. Yeah, I mean, these these ones have the best. But, I mean, for a storyteller whose favorite things to say are faster and more intense, you know, he loves the spectacle. But. I like the basket chase scene. I, I always thought it was just so unnecessary. It felt weird. Like, it was very quick that she died, and you thought she was dead, and then he quickly went to drinking. And it was just very weird. He didn't, did well, you think? it was think? kind of a darker tone. It was like, kind of went dark, and you're like, huh. But, I mean, wouldn't it make sense for more, more sense to know that she had gotten kidnapped? And that they're going to the dig site. Oh, and he's like, okay, well, I'll try to see if I can save her when we're at the dig yeah. site or whatever. I don't know. Just the whole thing of her being dead. I get that you're trying to like, oh, no, she's dead. But did anybody really believe that she had died? Because no. you wouldn't just kill off character just like, I've never seen that happen. Well, a good movie, at least. Never seen it just like you kill off the main character right off the bat. Yeah. Like, not right off the bat, but like just <clears throat> randomly. Like, you're, oh, wait, wait. They died? Holy crap. And then it's like real quick and it cuts to him drinking and then they're having conversations. And then she's not mentioned again until he finds her. Mm -hmm. You know, so it's really weird. Um, Indiana reminds me of Raylan Givens from Justified, you know, Timothy Oliphant's character, because Indiana is not really a very good fighter, Mm -hmm. but he can take a beating. Yeah, you know that's one of the he gets into fights with these guys all the time, but he he always gets laid out. Guy almost not. I mean that Russian guy or the, the German guy yeah. uh, around the plane. Yeah, like he, plane I mean, he, he like you tell when he hit him that one time, he just kind of sat back and he was just like smiling, but he was just like, "Whoa!" You yeah, know? he got rocked. <clears throat> but that's what I'm saying. The same thing as Raylan. They're not very good fighters, but they can take a beating and they're very lucky. Mm-hmm. So luck has a lot to do with it as well. Uh, when it comes to that. So, um, anyways, they think the Miriam's dead. They figure out that they're digging in the wrong place. So, they go to the dig site of where uh, Tannis is supposed to be, uh, where Tannis is. And um, they they go to the, uh, what is it called? The Well of Souls. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So, once they get in there, um, they discover the Ark and, uh, you know, the, the chest is in there and everything. But this whole Well of Souls thing. Uh, it was um, when they were digging. That's first of all that silhouette scene of him taking his stuff off and then putting his hat back on, and you could see the Indiana Jones thing, yeah. the silhouette with the sky behind him. One of the most ep- just awesome scenes of, yeah. of the whole trilogy of all of it. But don't you think that they somebody would have seen them all a whole huge group of people digging in a w- and way over here, but close enough to where they could see him from where they're digging. Saying, why are they digging over there when we're supposed to be digging over well, here? Well, because mainly because if you think about it, you know, the only reason they got found out is because the German guy, uh, what's his face? Bo- bollocks. Bellock. Yeah. Bollock. Bo- yeah. Bollocks. He ends up. Uh, <laughs> if you're a British person, uh, you're laughing. Yeah. Bollocks. Bollocks ends up, uh, uh, you know, coming out and then seeing 
seeing them digging and automatically figures it out you know it's like but if you look around him everybody else is gone like it's you know nighttime morning whatever you know everybody's sleeping and then you know they'll be there later on but you know when you see one group digging out there it's like come on now you know you you automatically know something's up (laughs) you know everybody else has gone home to their spouses or significant others and and are have eaten dinner and are asleep at that point have eaten dinner um yeah so they're over there and they get into the uh the well of souls there's obviously a lot of snakes down there they had to comb all the the uh the pet stores in london uh to you know get as many snakes and they still didn't have hoses yeah so they used like you know legless lizards and they just put you know little tube socks over them to make them look like snakes and everything uh they had vipers and they had um the cobras like one cobra though and the cobras they had a couple of them like one for the shot or whatever where they had a couple there but the cobras were the only ones that were actually poisonous and the for the times that him and marion fall real close to the snake they have a piece of glass there so that Mm -hmm. the but the snake did actually spit venom Mm -hmm. at the glass so he would have gotten venom on him if that glass hadn't been there but obviously indiana jones worst fear is snakes so obviously it had to be snakes it's snakes uh temple of doom is bugs and last crusade is rats yeah they all have their own different creepy crawly thing but So anyways, he goes into the well soul, uh, puts the staff in the right hole and finds out where they actually need to be, uh, actually need to be digging. He gets them to dig him and Sala go down into, uh, where the ark is at. They grab the ark and they raise it up and they're like, sweet, we got it now. And you know, if you, if you're real close looking, you can actually see R2D2 and C3PO in the uh, hieroglyphics on the wall and everything. But, uh, they get the, uh, the ark back up. And then uh, suddenly, when Sala goes up, the rope comes back down, mm-hmm. and he thinks that Sala has betrayed him yeah. because he's used to people just like every, literally him. everyone betrays him except for we find out Sala is the only one that has yeah. never really, well, him and Brody, you know, obviously, but even his own dad, in a sense, kind of betrays him later on, and you know. Uh, but we'll talk about that later. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, I mean, he's used to people betraying him. You know, Ray Winstone in the Kingdom of Crystal Skull, he betrayed him. You know, mm-hmm. and in that first literally, scene, Solace so. is like the only one that a hundred was like got got him a hundred percent. And the last time he saw him in this movie, he hugged him and he's like, "You're a good friend. You're yeah. more like a good true friend, yeah. or something like that." So, um, anyways, you see this rope comes back down, but then he hears Belloc's voice and he realizes, "Oh, okay, it's them." They lower Marion. They kind of lower her down. I think they just more push. Yeah, they pushed her in there, <laughs> and uh, she grabbed onto the, uh, the little statue or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then he caught her. And what was great about this scene is Marion standing up on his shoulders while he's trying to hold her up. He, she's like half on his back, but like got one leg up over his mm-hmm. shoulder, and she's like, ah, ah, you know, she's like so scared. But it was such a great comedic moment with the two of them yeah. and her not wanting to put her legs down mm-hmm. because the snakes are there and everything. So. Uh, they recover the ark, uh, and uh, they 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 are they, they, they Belloc and them seal him in the uh, in the tomb there, and so Indiana immediately figures out a way out. He finds out you know because of the snakes coming in and out. Okay, this is a a wall we can get through. Tips over a statue, breaks the wall. They go into this room and it has a bunch of dead bodies. They run right into this lit hallway, and remember they've only gone maybe twenty to fifty feet away from where they were in that initial room where they got trapped 
and suddenly they see this light where they just push a brick out and they're by the airfield. I don't know how that happens, but if you had known that, knowing knowing that you're just at the airfield where this place has been visited so many times and there's like a loose brick over here, if you just go down, get through that little hole and go down that hallway, you're on the other side of the wall from the Ark of the Covenant. Like that was way too easy to get to that airfield. And I always think about that, about the quick ways they find to get out because they spend so long getting in. Then they find a quick way to get out. And then I always reverse that and say, man, they could have just gotten in real quick. Well, like the sewers, you know, in Last Crusade, you know, it's like they just come up right through a, the well, they're sewer. Like, oh, it's a secret door under the library. And they go in there and then they're just in the sewers. Yeah. And they're like, oh, okay. So anybody who was in the sewers could have eventually gotten Eventually, this. yeah. Yeah. So <clears throat> anyways, they get out. They get out of there, right? And they get in the, uh, they, they have this fight at the airfield where he fights a couple different soldiers. It's a pretty cool epic fight scene because you got those propellers going and they look very dangerous. It looked like a very dangerous scene. Mm-hmm. And of course, Harrison Ford does all his, all his stunts and everything. So anyways, they eventually blow that that up but Belloc and the rest of them uh, they uh, get the Ark onto a truck and uh, they start uh, um, uh, what do you call it a convoy basically with two or three vehicles and uh, so starts one of the best chest, uh, chase scenes in history uh, especially whatever they're like what are you going to do and he's like I don't know I'm making this up as I go along I mean he really is literally his whole persona so he finds a horse somewhere and he gets on the horse, rides it to um, the vehicles, gets on one, and it has a huge fight scene with this truck that's still going. I always think of these fight scenes like in a normal fight scene, you got one person hijacking the vehicle, and you got two cars of the bad guys, one in the front, one in the behind. The person driving it is sit there fighting with the hero and never thinks to like hit the brakes and like take the keys out or whatever, because then you're you're swarmed, you can't get away. When you know, you know, you know that um, oh, it's just confusing me why they never do that. They did a thing on this, and do you know that Marion actually killed more people purposefully, purposefully than Indiana Jones did? Uh, what do you mean? When did she kill somebody? Uh, in the fire, in the bar. Um, there's quite a few scenes well, where she actually literally kill been. kills people. Where Indiana Jones, like he killed, let's see, he purposely kills that truck that flies off. Um, I'm just trying to think or who who else he he shot that guy he shot I mean we don't even know if he died yeah and we're gonna get a couple a couple of the other theories of this in this movie mm-hmm. too that, that you and I have talked about before but <clears throat> anyways he goes on this long chase and it's awesome and uh, he, he gets him he gets the arc he runs everybody off the road they go to the port and he's done it he's gotten the arc successfully they got it on a boat on a French boat and they're like, sweet, let's head out. And then uh, once they're on the boat, you know, he's he's got all these wounds and they have their sweet little love scene. And he's, she's like, not the man I knew 10 years ago. It's not the years, honey. It's the mileage. Please, I don't need a nurse. I just want to sleep. He's such a baby. Marion, leave me. How's this here? Go, Ray. Yes. Hurts. Wow. Well, goddamn it, anywhere doesn't it hurt? Here. Here. I think he passes out before they do anything. But um, anyways, a German U-boat intercepts the the, uh, the boat and uh, seizes 
the Ark and Marion because at the time the captain was trying to get Jones, uh, Indiana Jones, to a hiding place, uh, kind of like a smuggler's place where he would have smuggled somebody as Han Solo in the Millennium Falcon. So uh, he's trying to get it, but he wanted to get Marion first. But by the time he gets back to where their room is, she's already been grabbed by the, the Nazis. So he has to go hide somewhere. They uh, go put their arc on the submarine. He swims over the submarine. Wait, 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 before we get into that exact part, what you're talking about is the most ridiculous thing on all of Indiana Jones. It better not be what I'm building up to. What you just said. Don't when he it. swims from the boat to well, the U-boat. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah. Before we get into that, so he swims over to the boat, and everybody's cheering on the other boat, and he's just like, yeah, I made it and everything. And then we cut to the map. We cut to the map of the submarine traveling to the island, right? And they make it to the island. How in the hell did he stay on the boat, right? That's my point. Do you know about the cut scenes, the deleted mm. scenes? So there are deleted scenes, and I've seen them, of him holding onto the periscope. Are you kidding me? And he rides that submarine, because they never go much more, and sometimes submarines don't go yeah, very yeah. low. They only go to periscope depth, so where only their periscope's sticking up. So he got he grabbed onto this thing, and there's a cut, deleted scene of him, and he's like, <sighs> you know, like shivering. Yeah. And that, that ocean water would be way colder than it yeah. would be, and everything. Most but, ridiculous part of the scene. Like, I want to know how he got from the boat to the U-boat so easily. Well, he swam. Did, I mean, he yeah, was a good did swimmer. You, did you see the waves? They were only about, I don't know, 100 feet apart or something like that. But, but still, okay, I mean, you get there. There are time. way more. A little bit more. Uh, yeah, yeah. There are way more like offhanded things later in other movies or whatever. But yeah, he did ride that submarine all the way to the island, just holding on to the periscope. So I thought that was interesting. That, and a lot of people say it's a plot hole, and people talk about it as a plot hole. But if you know the deleted scene, you know, that he just grabbed on and held on for yeah. their life. So uh, they get to the this island because they decided they want to open it, you know, before they get to Berlin. Because if anything bad's going to happen, they don't want it to happen in front of in front of the Führer. Das Führer. So, um, but when he's there, he has a, I don't know where he got the rocket launcher from. I forgot. Maybe I just wasn't watching that part. But he must have got it from whoever, the Nazis, and maybe they had all their supplies. And they <laughs> well, had he tries launcher. on the uniform at first and it's like... Yeah, yeah, right. and then he finds another guy, finds him, and then he's like, "Yep, that's better for that's the better, better size." Him, yeah. yeah. So uh, he he aims the rocket launcher at it, and at this moment, this scene when they're in that that valley or that the the, the caverns and caves and stuff, yeah. when he's pointing the yeah. rocket launcher, what scene have we? What 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 movie have we seen that shot in that exact same location? That, I don't know. Uh, that's when R two D two got taken by the Jawas. In the very first movie, A New Hope, um, they they uh, they shot him, and it's that same that same little valley, and you could tell you're like I've seen this before. Mm. So, uh, anyways, uh, he's gonna he he's like, give me the girl, and I'll let you guys leave. I just want the girl, or I'll blow up the ark. And of course, Belloc's like, go ahead, do it. Go ahead, back to God. All your life has been spent in pursuit of archaeological relics. Inside the ark are treasures beyond your wildest aspirations. You want to see it open as well as I. Indiana, we are simply passing through history. This, this is history. Because he knows just as well as Indy does he's that. He's an archaeologist. Yeah, that he's an archaeologist and that he cares about. And of course, at first, uh, Marion's like, 
smiling. She's like, because he's like, all I want is a girl. She's smiling. She's like, oh, he's going to blow it up and he's going to rescue me. And then he doesn't. And, you know, I think she's a little irritated that she didn't, he didn't blow up the ark for her or whatever. But anyways, they march on to the, uh, the most, uh, remote part of the island, I guess, to do this ritual. And it's basically, they just want to open it up and see what happens. Yeah. Um, so they get there and he's even wearing, Belloc's wearing the ceremonial dress that's described in Exodus on Mm -hmm. what you should be doing for this whole thing. And I I think Exodus actually has the dimensions for the ark that was built for it and everything. But, um, so anyways, they start to open it and it's just sand. It's like white sand in there. And they're like, that's it. Of course, the Nazis are pissed and Belloc's like, what the hell? But then things start happening. They start hearing rumbling. The sky starts getting gray. And that's a part whenever they were first unearthing that first temple that the Ark was in, mm-hmm. when the sky got all crazy and everything, mm-hmm. that was pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, and the same thing kind of happened here, but really things started happening weird first before the weather got mm-hmm. crazy. And then suddenly, I don't know why, or maybe it's just him being an archaeologist in general, but he somehow has the knowledge that they're not supposed to see whatever is in that well i think he's smart enough to know that that what they're doing is not smart you know and you know it's literally the word of god well he wants to keep he wants to find it to keep it and preserve it. yeah yeah he doesn't think it should be opened or anything like that whether he believes in the supernatural or not preserve it or whatever but for some reason he knows just don't look at it yeah even if he knows power God or something, you know, whatever, mm-hmm. he knows something bad comes out of that. And so when they start to hear and see things, that's when he's like, Marion, shut your eyes. Don't look at anything. And, you know, they, she's even screaming. And, uh, you know, when all the fire is going around, she's like, you know, shut your eyes. Don't look. Um, anyways, they, uh, of course, then we have the, the infamous melting, the face melting scene. <clears throat> that was almost rated R, but they had to throw some fire in front of it just so you could see it. That was the exploding head. So Belloc's head exploded and they had that original effect, but then they got an R rating. And so they're like, well, what if we just put a bunch of fire in front of it exploding? Because I mean the head, I mean the face melting that went, you got stupid. So one guy got his, his whole face shrunken, like, like all the moisture had been pulled out of it. Yeah. The other one got his head exploded. And then, uh, the Gestapo guy, he, his face melted, and it became one of the most popular scenes of all time, not just Indiana Jones. And it was it was done by, you know, making a bunch of resins, layering it on top of each other, putting in little yarn as veins and stuff like that, and uh, then just melting it with heat guns and heat cannons and stuff, and mm-hmm. just fast-forwarding the, the... And I guess a bunch of different makeup artists and different things on different movies called this dude and was like how did you do it yeah. what's the formula we want to do this too what's the ratio what kind of um uh resin did you use blah 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 blah, blah. so uh became a hugely popular scene uh kills all the nazis everybody but indiana and uh, marion like they completely disappear like they're gone like, like gone like they nothing. get vaporized so bad <laughs> yeah. that there's just nothing left so um kills all them and it's just them two left and then they go back uh they take the ark with them instead of Mm -hmm. leaving i would have left it on the island and said yeah i don't know what they did with it yeah 
Uh, you know, I wouldn't want anybody to find out. I would but have buried it or something. It'd be know? probably a nerve wracking just to leave it there or whatever. So he brings it back, and you know, like you could probably count on in most movies, the uh, government ends up taking it. And then you see it again in uh, what 2007 or something. Well, that's or? what's interesting about it because you they put it in a wood box with all the other wood boxes that are in that warehouse, and, but you don't know what the warehouse is. And we never knew what they were. People, I think, suspected different things here and there. But then, yeah, in Kingdom of Crystal Skull, when uh, when this group uh, goes on to the base of Area 51, then you go into that warehouse and you realize, oh, this is a warehouse at Area 51. Mm-hmm. Maybe they don't keep aliens here. They just keep all the secret the stuff that nobody needs to yeah. be a part of or whatever. Yeah. And that's basically how the movie ends. It ends uh, just with a shot of that of that warehouse and the thing mm-hmm. being put away. Yeah. So, and that's that's our movie. Yep, 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 yep. Uh, we know Spielberg and Lucas's favorite scenes. What was your favorite scene? The car chase. <clears throat> oh, you did like the car chase better. I thought you had said it was something else before. Mm. Okay. I like the car chase. Um, all right, well, you guys stick with us. We are doing... Two more this month. Uh, after this one, it's going to be Temple of Doom and then uh, and then uh, Last Crusade, obviously. Um, we'll eventually get uh, around to uh, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, uh, but we're pretty excited to get through all these. And we got more to say about all these, but we're saving some stuff for the other two episodes as well so we don't, you know, blow our whole Indiana Jones load on one, uh, on one movie, so... Uh, if you guys want to get a hold of us, we're on all social media at the Post Credit Podcast, uh, except for Twitter. Or we're at the Post Credit. Our email address is the Post Credit Podcast at gmail.com. We have a website. It's www.thepostcreditpodcast.com, and we're on YouTube. Uh, we appreciate you guys listening, and we'll see you next time. And throw me a whip. I mean, bone.